Jonah chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 4 through uh, 10 tonight. And uh, last week we saw kind of the beginning of the book. We got some background understanding of um, who Jonah was, where he came from, his, his past as far as being a prophet. Um, we also looked at the commission that God gave him um, to go to this place and um, to preach the, the message of repentance ultimately as God was going to overthrow the city if they didn't repent. And we saw that Jonah's heart was not um, in a place where he followed God. And he, he abandoned the mission that God gave him. He stepped outside of what God desired for him and went his own way. And today we're going to uh, continue in verses 4 through 10 as we see kind of where that led him um, and how he got into the whale of the, the fish. So let's read verses 4 through 10, and then we'll have a word of prayer and jump in together. The Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What uh, is thine occupation and whence comest thou and what is thy country and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray. God, we ask tonight as we look to your word um, that you would help us as we study this passage to glean from it what you would have for us. And certainly, God, we believe that when, you're, when your word is taught, God, that is one of the ways that you reveal your will to us. It's one of the ways that you reveal who you are to us. I pray this evening that as we study this together, that our hearts would be softened to receive your word, that we would be eager um, to take it and, and think on it and meditate on it and apply it and even compare ourselves to it. For in comparing ourselves to the word of God, uh, we will be made more like your son, Jesus. And so I ask tonight that you would do a great work in us that only you can do. God, may May this passage uh, prepare us for the week ahead. May it prepare us for life as we think about following your will and what that entails and how it should look. So we ask that you'd use it tonight for your honor and glory, for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Selfishness of Sin, that's the title of the lesson tonight if you take notes. And the title of the series, again, is A Story Worth Considering. And as as uh, I read through this passage and studied this week, it was uh, another passage that that caused me to, to stop and reflect several times as I read this familiar story. I, I could tell you the story of Jonah. I think many of you could do the same for me. Maybe not word for word, but I think we could get the basic concepts across and people would understand that there was a prophet who ran from God because he didn't like a certain people, he was fearful, and go on with the rest of the story. But if we, if we address or approach the Bible like that, we're doing ourselves a disservice, aren't we? Because it's not meant just for us to have a knowledge and then move on or to understand a story and then walk away from that story. 
but the word of God is given to us to impact our lives. And this prophet who lived all these years ago, though it's a story that, that some question whether or not it was real, we believe it was real. And God gave it to us in his preserved word for the purpose of, of ultimately making us like Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful for the mercy of God that reveals itself within the pages of the book of Jonah? Because that's the mercy we need every day. And so as I was studying this passage this week, it, it struck me again at, at how much we are like Jonah. We might not go to the lake lengths that Jonah went to, but in some ways, at some point in our lives, each of us have done this very same thing. We may not have ended up in the belly of a fish, and praise God for that, right? But each of us at some point in our lives have, have wandered away from the will of God to a point where it was dangerous for us, but could we also say that, that we've wandered away to a point where it was dangerous for others as well? If you think of, of parenting, um, and as a parent, if you wander away from God's will, that's going to have an impact on your family. It's going to have an impact on those around you. And so we have to approach the Word of God uh, with a desire to understand it in that way, to see what God would teach us as we go through it. And so tonight, as we think about the selfishness of sin, uh, I hope that we don't get so wrapped up in the story that we miss the point of why God gave it to us. Because again, this story is, is quite intriguing. And we could get so lost in the details that we miss the picture of what God is trying to do. And I think that happens often in the Word of God. And so just to refresh our minds, God had given Jonah a message to declare, and Jonah blatantly disregarded what God had said, and he went on to do what he desired instead. Whether this was from fear of the Assyrians or because of nationalistic pride, or maybe it was a mixture of both, the reality is it doesn't matter. But what does matter is that we see that this... In this portion of the, the narrative, the sin that Jonah committed and the dangerous path that it took him and the sailors down. A few things I want us to, to chew on tonight as we go through this text. First, um, the thought that, that crept into my mind as I went through this is that your sin never impacts you alone. Um, and I think that's a valid thing for us to consider when we sin because it will never just impact you. The selfishness of sin says, I can do this, I can get away with it, even if I have to pay the price. But we don't think of the collateral damage, do we? We don't think of the other people in our lives that it's going to affect or the other people that it's going to impact, and our wandering into sin always has an impact. Uh, Brianna and I were talking on the way to church tonight, and she grew up in a, a Christian home, or not, a, I'm sorry, she didn't grow up in a Christian home. And we were just talking about life and ministry, and she said, you know, I I honestly think it's, it's more detrimental to grow up in a Christian home with a lot of inconsistencies than it is to grow up in a, an unsaved home. And that struck me. I, couldn't, I don't have that perspective because I didn't grow up in that way. But she said as, as she looks at the church, not just our church, but the church as a whole, the, the impact that inconsistency has in the lives of children from the parents. It's brutal. And being in youth ministry for as, as long as I was, I would agree with that statement. I don't know if, if we could do a scientific study and prove that, but from her perspective, um, it, it has a far-reaching um, end result that is very negative. And so as Christian parents, as, as Christian adults, let us remember that our sin never impacts us alone. The inconsistencies in our lives will affect those around us, and that's something that we have to consider. The second thing I want us to think on as we go through this text um, 
your sin, though it impacts others, is always primarily against God. And I know that I hit this point often. And guess what? I will until the day that I die. Why? Because it's, it's a biblical truth. That your sin, though it does impact those around us, that my sin, though it does impact those around me, my sin is primarily against God. And why should I live with that in the forefront of my mind? Because God is God, right? God is holy and just and righteous. And if my sin is primarily against somebody who rubs me the wrong way, or if my sin is primarily against somebody who has upset me, so I'm trying to get back at them, then I can justify in my mind how I had a right to do the thing that I did. But when I understand that my sin is primarily against a holy and just God, it should change my perspective. And that's something that Jonah didn't consider, but I think it's something that, that we should consider. The third thing tonight, and this statement may, you might not like it at first, but I'll try to explain it in a way that hopefully makes more sense. Sin forces the hand of God to do what grieves his heart. Have you ever thought about that before? Now, to stop, can we force God to do anything? No. We, we understand that we can't. But as a holy and just and righteous God, does, does punishment of sin grieve a holy and righteous God's heart? I think it absolutely does. And so I think the statement is true that sin forces the hand of God, not in a manipulative way to get what we want, because if it was what we want, he would never punish sin. But sin forces the hand of God to do what grieves his heart. And we know that discipline is not pleasant for anybody involved when it's done with the right heart, right? It, a parent who gets joy out of disciplining their children, there's something wrong with that. It's, it's sick and twisted. They call that abuse. So God doesn't enjoy the discipline of his children. What does he enjoy? The fruit of discipline, the, the chastening that leads to a righteous life. And so as we think about this, um, God doesn't enjoy chastening us. He doesn't enjoy... Um, disciplining us as his children, and it forces his heart or his hand to do what grieves his heart um, because he doesn't want to see us suffer, um, but he's going to do it anyways because it's consistent with who he is. He's going to do what is righteous and holy and just. And then finally tonight, the well, not finally tonight, finally for the first part of tonight, uh, God sees all, and in his seeing, he's bound by his own character to act in a way that proves he is holy and righteous and just. If God just let Jonah go do what Jonah wanted to do with no retribution to a man who was a prophet of who? A prophet of God. Then, then God wouldn't be how the Bible describes him. But because he's always consistent with his character, when something goes wrong, when we sin, he's going to chasten us, he's going to discipline us. And I think these are things that are helpful to us to think through as we go through this section of Scripture. And so tonight I want to I take a look at each one of the verses. I've given each one their own heading, so I'll give them to you as we go, unlike this morning where I don't know if I said the second point or not. Um, I was told I did, I was told I didn't. I've got to go back and watch the tape to see what really happened. Um, but I'll try to give you the, the headings of each verse tonight, and hopefully it'll be a help to us as we go through it together. So verse number four again says this, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. The first thing we see is a dispensing of God's power. Um, the, the first few words of verse number four should catch our attention, right? Because the, the course of the, the rest of this chapter, and specifically verses four through ten, are dependent upon God doing what God did in the first 
part of verse number four. Again, it says, but the Lord sent out a great wind. We often think of the story of Jonah and we just think of the big fish. But why did Jonah end up in the water to begin with? Because there was a great storm that came. And who was it that sent that storm? God did. God did. And why did God send that storm? Because Jonah was living in direct disobedience to what God had told him to do. And so we see in the first verse that we're looking at tonight that God was acting according to what was just and right, uh, according to his character as he saw um, his prophet wander away from his will to dismiss the message that he, that God had given him to proclaim to the people of Nineveh. And when God saw this taking place, it did not catch him by surprise. He knew it was going to happen, but he still acted in a way that was consistent to his will. And when Jonah thought he was going in one direction, God sent out a great wind into the sea, and this mighty tempest was so great that the ship was likely to be broken if the storm had stayed as raging as it was. Now, I, I like being on boats um, if the, the, the storm isn't there, right? I've never been on a cruise ship. They say on a cruise, even in a bad storm, you can't feel it. I don't know if I believe that. I'll, I'll test your theory. If you pay for my cruise, I'll go take it and let you know what I find in my scientific research. But the, the situation here was bad. They weren't on a Carnival Cruise Line boat, right? They were on some sort of ship. We're not sure how big it was. These, these were guys that were running trade routes. So it was probably a decent-sized boat that they were carrying cargo from one place to another uh, to sell and trade and to make their money. But regardless of what size the boat was, when God saw Jonah running away from his desired will, God sent a storm so big that the testimony of either Jonah or, or somebody that Jonah shared this story with was simply this, that the storm was so bad that the boat was about to break. Now, that's a horrible storm. That's a bad place to be, and yet this is something that God sent into the life of Jonah because Jonah was directly disobeying the will of God. God sent the storm. He sent out this great wind that caused the tempest, or the whirlwind is the English word for that idea of tempest, uh, that, that caused the sailors to be in such a, a, a state of chaos that they didn't know what they were going to do. They were fearing for their lives, as we're going to see in a little bit, and God is the one who sent this out. And this is just a small glimpse of the power of God. A small glimpse of the power of God. It's interesting that Jonah's testimony, as he gets down uh, into verses 9 and 10, what does he say? I'm, I'm a Hebrew, and my God made the dry land in the sea. What is Jonah testifying about in that moment? That my God is the one who caused all this to happen. He caused it to happen initially as he created it, but he also sent the storm because of my unwillingness to follow his will for my life. And I, I think we could classify this in some regards as the chastening of the Lord in the life of Jonah. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Did God love Jonah? He absolutely did. And he was willing to prove that by sending this storm. Now, if, if we had no knowledge of God or how God handles his just and righteous punishment, what could we say about God in this moment? What would you say if, if, if you did bad and you got bad because of it? What would you say? You get what you deserve. It, it just came to be, right? It was, it was uh, cause and effect, right? You did wrong, so you're getting wrong. And if that's where it ended, you did wrong and you got wrong, well, that's a pretty miserable place to live. If every time we did wrong, God just gave us something bad because of what we had done with no 
end point or no end desire, then, then we're in a horrible cycle for the rest of our days. But that's not the way that God works. The dispensing of his power is always with not a temporary purpose, but an eternal purpose. And what was God's eternal desire for Jonah in this moment? That he would go to Nineveh and that he would preach the truth that if they didn't repent, their city was going to be overthrown. As we think about the dispensing of God's power in verse 4, any thoughts on this, this verse as we've looked at it so far tonight? Dave. I like that. I think you're right. We often focus on that God sent a fish, but before he sent a fish, he put Jonah in a pretty horrible situation. And it wasn't just Jonah. Who else was there? All the sailors, everybody that he was around. And so God's control is, is as far reaching as the scenario plays out and really even further. He's, he's always in control. He's always working his will. He's always causing his plan to come to be. And that's seen in the life of Jonah. And uh, could God have just said, okay, Jonah, forget you, we're going to send another prophet to Nineveh. He could have. And Jonah could have got on a boat and headed to Tarsus and gone and lived a different life. But God didn't want that for Jonah. Why? Because Jonah probably would have lived a miserable rest of his life in some way, in some form, in some fashion. And so God intervened in a, a painstaking way as he sent this storm, but it was to get Jonah back so that Jonah would do what God desired for him to do. Any other thoughts? Josh. You sure you don't want to come up and teach? Because that was good stuff. That might even preach on a Sunday morning, Josh. We'll, we'll get you on the schedule. <laughs> uh, that was, that's good. I actually was, I, I sat down to write, I'm going to send out this week just a series of emails leading up to next week. And that's one of the things that I have in, in one of my emails was just how the story of, of redemption, we only ever think of it from the, the fact of 
God saving us, but God even redeems our story, right? Like he's even able to use the mess that we cause him to bring into our lives to then cause other people to come to understand who he is. And so Jonah's disobedience here, as Josh was saying, really was an opportunity for God to be made known to these sailors who otherwise might not have known him. And so we don't applaud sin, right? We don't sin so that God can, can do greater works in us and through us. Romans 6 would tell us not to go down that route. But when we sin, we should even use our sinfulness as a platform to show what? How merciful our God is. And was God gracious to them in the storm? Does it say the boat was broken? No. It says it was likened to be broken or likely to be broken because the, the storm was so bad. And so even, even in um, the severity of the storm, uh, we see that God was still gracious in dispensing his power. He brought them to the, the, the brink so that, they would, so that Jonah would turn and repent. And that's gracious on God's behalf. Now, our desire should not be to have God take us to the brink, right? It should be that as soon as he speaks, we repent. But sometimes we're hard-headed. Sometimes we, we need to be taken to the brink or what to us seems like the brink so that we can turn back and go in the direction God desires for us to go. Any other thoughts on verse number four? Oh, man. We'll start with Ethan first. That's good. Jessica. There's always a purpose to the storm, right? Always a purpose. Dave. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good thought. Elizabeth. Yeah. 
that's great. Justin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He could run, but he couldn't hide. Did I miss anybody there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It is. It is. And, and if we were wise, um, I, I honestly don't think there's enough Christians who willing, and I'll put myself in this scenario, enough Christians who willingly share the consequences that they face because of sin and how God brought them to the point of repentance and how br- God brought them through that thing when they finally did repent. We like to keep our sins private, don't we? I don't want to share my deepest, darkest secrets, but what if, what if that's what God wanted me to share? I'm not saying we do it tonight. Um, we'll, we can have another service for that. But just think about that. Like, What in your life has taken you to the point where, where God was, it, it felt like everything around you was going to crumble and fall, and then you <laughs> repented and God brought relief from that situation? Wouldn't that be a powerful story to share? That's the story of Jonah right? Of course it would be powerful. And so maybe we need to lose some pride, self-included, and be willing to share God's story of grace in our lives. All right, we got to move on to verse 5 because it's already 631. Um, verse 5, the heading is fearful sailors and an unfazed Jonah. Verse 5 says, the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Now, we have to think about the scenario because we could give Jonah a free pass and say, well, the, the storm wasn't that bad. Well, what does verse 4 tell us? That the ship was likely to be broken. And so what sort of mental state was Jonah in at this point that he was able to go to the bottom of the boat or in the sides of the boat and be fast asleep while everything was, was rocking and rolling. Every, every piece of cargo, I imagine, that wasn't strapped down was going from side to side. Every sailor was crying out to their gods um, with, with great fervency. And I'm sure there was a lot of other things they were crying in those moments as well. Let's be honest, right? Their lives were on the line, and, and they were very fearful. Verse 5, the beginning says, the, the mariners were afraid. They, they were used to sailing on seas. They were used to sailing on rough seas. But in this moment, they were fearing for their lives and they began to cry unto their God. They began to cast the things from the ship into the water so that they could lighten the boat and try to row it to shore. And there's Jonah in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He was unfazed. Why was he unfazed? Because he was so self consumed in that moment that he had no idea what was going on around him and doesn't sin do that to us that we get so self-consumed that we don't 
care about who our sin is affecting. We don't think about the reality that our sin is against God. We, we can't even see the, the trail of chaos that we're leaving behind. We just simply lay there in our own little world, in our own world. And that's what Jonah was doing. He was unfazed by the things that were taking place. Um, Jonah was thinking about his plan coming to pass. He was thinking about going not to, to Nineveh, um, not to the place that God wanted him to go, but he was thinking about going to Tarshish. He was thinking about getting away from the, the calling of God for his life to establish a new life under a new authority, which was himself. And when, when we get so engrossed in our sin, we can convince ourselves that everything is okay when everything in reality is not okay. And that's where Jonah was. Thoughts on verse 5? Justin. <laughs> yeah. And they were rough men, right? Sailors were typically known for being rough men. So they probably had a lot of things in their life at that moment that they were thinking through. Is this because of me? Um, certainly they knew something was wrong. Somebody else? Any thoughts on verse number five? Ethan? Yeah. That's a very scary thing. Being at peace with your decision to disobey God. Do you think Jonah knew that God was going to try to get him back? Do you think Jonah knew that some sort of retribution was on its way? He had to. What was he? He was a prophet. What did prophets do? They went and proclaimed that, hey, if you don't straighten up, God's going to do something. He, he's not going to sit on his hands and let you do whatever you want, but he's, he's going to prove that he ultimately is the one true God. Uh, but the, the selfishness of sin very often doesn't allow us to see uh, the, the danger and the reality of the choices that we're making because we're so consumed on getting what we want. And even if we see glimpses of them, even if we have a knowledge that keeps creeping up in our mind, we're quick to push it to the side because we want to be at peace with the decision that we've made. Anybody else? Josh. That is, and I like what you said, you know, they're, they're sleeping for different reasons, right? Um, Jonah was sleeping because he was, he was passive towards God's will for his life. Jesus was sleeping because he was God's will for humanity. He, he was going to use the situation to proclaim the goodness and the glory of God. Anybody else? Verse 5, Justin again. We're going to put a limit on you, Justin, just so you know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we could go that far. I, I think he was okay with his decision in saying, whatever comes of this, comes of this, right? Um, I, I 
been around suicidal people, I've not met too many that can fall asleep in those situations. They're pretty amped up. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly he's, he did give up. Um, that, that is uh, a sure reality. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He wasn't going to be the one. He wasn't going to be the one. Other Justin. Way to brag. <laughs> Good to know. Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah, let's not get into that. It's going to get us all in trouble. All right, moving on to verse number six. We see a sobering accusation in verse six. It says, so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Um, so the mariners were, were crying unto their gods, but nothing changed. And we don't know how long this scenario played out. God could have kept that boat rocking in that position without it being broken until God determined to change the scenario. And so it could have been five minutes. It could have been several hours. Um, but eventually they came to remember, hey, there's somebody else on this boat. It's, it's not just us. Um, our God certainly haven't done anything about us. And so they, they go to Jonah and they say, what meanest thou, O sleeper? What meanest thou, O sleeper? What do you take from that? If, somebody, if that statement was said, what, what do you think they're trying to get across? Anybody have any thoughts? <laughs> last, last time. Sure. Yeah, could be. Yep. Anybody else? What meanest thou, sleeper? Dave? Just that we all have a responsibility here, and you seem to be... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not pulling your weight, right? It's, everybody else is at least trying, and here Jonah is fast asleep on, uh, on, on the sides of the boat or under the boat. And as, as I think about this, this accusation that they throw against him, what meanest thou, O sleeper? God was revealing to them that, hey, Jonah's the problem. Long before they cast lots, God was making it known that, hey, there's somebody on your boat, and that's the reason why this is here. Can God do that? Can God work through carnal people to bring about his purposes? He absolutely can. Absolutely. What does Peter say in his sermon um, to those who crucified Jesus? You crucified him, but whose will was it that he was crucified? It was God's will. And so certainly God can work through pagan, carnal, unsaved, unspiritual people to bring about his desired will. And I think that's what's happening here. God allowed Jonah to sleep 
Uh, did God keep him asleep? What, what is that scenario? I don't think we have any grounds to make a, a clear conclusion on that. But we know Jonah was able to go to sleep before the storm started, being at peace with his decision to run away from the will of God. Why did he stay asleep? We could, we could guess all night long what that scenario was. But then God allowed Jonah to be woken up by these pagan men who had already cried out to their God, and, and they accuse him. They say, what meanest thou, O sleeper? And then they command him and say, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now, did they know who Jonah's God was at this point? No. What were they hoping for? That whoever his God was, he could cause the situation to get better. That the, the, the societies back then were very polytheistic, right? They, they had many gods for many different purposes and many different reasons. And every grouping of people had their own set of gods. And so they weren't looking at Jonah and saying, oh, by the color of his skin and the way he keeps his hair and uh, the way his, his face looks, he must serve the God of, of the Hebrews, the God of Israel. Maybe they thought that, but my guess is when the boat's about to fall apart, they're not going through a logical list of things in their mind trying to figure out who Jonah's God is. They just want every man calling upon their God so that peace can be brought to this situation. And I, and I like what they say. Call upon thy God so if it be that God will think upon us we, that we perish not. They understood something about deity even though they were ascribing it to the wrong deities. They understood this idea that there was a God who was in control. They were just very confused on who that God was. And, and likely they were thinking it was a specific God for this specific scenario that would have been different from other scenarios that they could have been in. But their accusation, nonetheless, is sobering because it's causing Jonah to come to grips with the reality that he is running from the God that is causing this situation to play out. When do you think Jonah woke up? Well, not physically, but, but when do you think he began to wake up spiritually in his heart and in his mind? When do you think Jonah had that, oh no, moment, right? Like, I have done this. From my disobedience, I've, I've caused God to do what he's doing currently in this moment in sending a storm that's causing these people to freak out um, and, and fear for their lives. It's ironic that the man who served the false god was coming up to the man who served the true god and prodding him into action. And, and what, a, what a sad reality that is, that it took a pagan man to speak to a prophet of God to get the prophet of God to do what he was supposed to do. Again, another reminder to us that God can and will use anything and everything to get us back to where he desires us to be. Any thoughts on verse 6 besides Justin? Yes, Elizabeth. Yeah, I like that thought. That would preach too. Let me put that down in my notes. But it, it's certainly true that all of humanity knows that something is missing inside of them, and they try to fill it with, with some sort of God. I, I saw a post today by a pastor friend in Indiana, and he said, um, unbeknownst to them, everyone is worshiping somewhere today. And isn't that true? Everyone around the world was worshiping somewhere. Not all worshiping the same God, but we're all worshiping something. Um, whether it's self or, or possessions or, 
our own agendas. We're all worshiping something. And um, these guys were no different. They were worshiping something. It just wasn't the one true God. And yet God was going to give them a glimpse into who he was through the scenario that Jonah got them into. Uh, Anybody else? Any thoughts on verse number six? All right, we'll move on to verse number seven. A sign of guilt. In uh, verse number seven, it goes on and says, And they said, everyone to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Um, What is casting lots? Yeah, some sort of rolling dice, uh, rolling stones, rolling something that would hopefully lead you to an answer um, that would prove God's will for a current situation. Is casting lots always, was casting lots always evil? Yeah. I think sometimes we can give casting lots a bad rap, but God used the casting of lots to, to point in his direction. Um, even in, in the New Testament in Acts, they cast lots uh, to find a, a replacement uh, deacon, right? They, 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 or to find a deacon, or to find, no, another disciple, apostle. And, uh, and God used it. God pointed them in the direction that he wanted them to go. Do we cast lots today? Probably shouldn't. Why? We have the Spirit. We have the Spirit inside of us. And so the, then I think there was a need for some external source for God to work through to reveal his will to the people who were doing the casting of the lots. We don't need that anymore. We have God's completed word. We have his spirit within us. But it's interesting that as these pagan men cast lots, God used it to point to the prophet Jonah, who was the reason uh, for the boat and for themselves to be in the situation that they found themselves in. And so all signs pointed to Jonah at this point, right? Jonah knew it, I'm sure, when he was woken up by the, the sailors and when they compelled him to pray to his God because of the situation that they were in. They were afraid that they were going to perish, and they were desiring for a God to rescue them, not knowing who the true God was. And so Jonah wasn't forthcoming. He didn't immediately say, hey guys, it's because of me. But rather, God used the casting of lots to reveal to the men that it was Jonah, and then Jonah came clean. What would have been the best scenario? Jonah, we've woken you up hey, guys, it's my fault, right? I just got to confess something. You think Jonah was a little fearful? Sure. He was afraid what? They were going to kill him. I'm sure that he was afraid they were going to kill him. Why didn't he go to the Syrians? Assyrians. Because he was afraid they were going to kill him, right? Jonah was a man in some ways that was living in fear of men over the fear of God. In some ways, he was a man who wanted to, to do his own will, over the will of God. And, and all signs in this scenario, though, were pointing to Jonah. As they cast the lots, as they rolled those dice, whatever it was, um, they said Yahtzee, and Yahtzee landed on Jonah. And uh, it was time for him to, to fess up. It was time for him to make known what he had done. Um, any thoughts on verse 7? Evan. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a sobering question, isn't it? It's it's this sign of guilt that has every indication that Jonah is the reason. Um, I think it should cause us to think. I think it should cause us to to consider how our choices impact those around us, how our passivity impacts those around us, how our lack of being forthcoming impacts those around us. Every one of those things was true about Jonah. He was passive. Uh, he was not forthcoming. He, he did not make it known that he was a prophet of God. He did not make it known um, even that he knew the one true God. It doesn't say that Jonah ever prayed to his God there, does it? That when they compelled him to pray to his God, it almost seems like Jonah was still passive in the situation. Like, you guys just do what you want. I'm going to sit back in the corner. And yet God was able to reveal that it was Jonah as these... Uh, pagan men cast lots and they fell upon Jonah. So certainly it, it is a, um, an interesting account of, of God's sovereignty in this situation where man has made some really stupid decisions. God, God's will is always going to be, uh, is going to come to pass in the end. And, and sometimes God makes known our passivity to even pagan people. There, there was a story that went around a long time ago. I'm not even going to try to get it right. But it was just along the lines where, where an unsaved person said, if these Christians really believe what they say they believe, then why do they not share it more fervently? Who would admit that you have sat in passivity towards the will of God before in your life? We all have. And that's a shame to us. But it's not something that keeps us down, right? We, we see where we've been passive and we learn from that mistake and then we press on in the path that God has for us. Jonah is all over the map when it comes to this as we, as we go from the scenario of being in the boat to the end of the story where the last word of the book is cattle. All over the map. And, and God has given it to us to, to teach us how we should live and how we shouldn't live. So verse 7 is a sign of guilt. Verse 8, the sailors demand an answer. And so they woke Jonah up in verse number 6. They compelled Jonah to cry to his God. They cast lots in verse number seven, the lot fell on Jonah, and then they plug in that spotlight and they strap Jonah to a chair, and what do they do? They say, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? Imagine being Jonah. I don't know if it was the, the shipmaster who was, was asking all these questions or if it was coming from diff- different sailors on the boat. But talk about overwhelming. And, and do you think Jonah began to understand, hey, I've been found out, right? The lots have fallen on me. They, they compelled me to pray to my God. I wouldn't do it. I haven't been forthcoming in what I'm doing and, and where I'm going and why I'm even here to begin with. And, and now the time has come where the sailors are demanding an answer. And let's be real. Sailors we're not typically pleasant guys to be around, right? Um, I imagine they had those heart tattoos with mom on their shoulder, right? Just, just rough guys and, and uh, kind of like what you see in Captain Hook and, and Peter Pan, those, those types of sailors. I don't know if Mr. Schmee was there shaving up Captain Hook or not, but rough guys, rough crowd to be around. It, it reminds me of when um, Paul sent 
Titus to Crete. Crete would, would have been filled with people like this, rough guys. Crete was on a trade route. These guys were guys that traveled on trade routes. They were known for getting what they wanted at any cost. And they wanted answers. They wanted answers about why the storm was here. They wanted answers as to who Jonah was. And I, I love what they say. Tell us why this evil is upon us. Tell us what you're doing here. And how do you think Jonah was feeling in that moment? Do you think he was still at peace with his decision? I imagine at this point his heart was, was pounding pretty steadily. Um, if he had his, his Apple watch on, it would have been saying, hey, you need to go get checked out because you're about to have a heart attack or something. But the sailors demanded an answer, and I think, I think they deserved an answer, right? They deserved to know to some degree why they were in this situation that they were in, and ultimately God gives them that answer, and, and it does point them to the truth of the power of the one true God but in this moment, they didn't necessarily care about that. All they wanted to know why, was why Jonah was there and why this evil was upon them because of him as the lots fell on him. Any thoughts on verse 8? You guys were all front-loaded in your, your conversation tonight. Evan. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good thought. I like that. Um, all right, moving on to verse number nine. Um, as they ask the questions, the Bible says, then Jonah speaks and he said unto them, I am in Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the, the sea and the dry land. Um, I've titled this um, Jonah's untruthful declaration. And I think there's truth mixed with lie here because did Jonah fear God? I think there were parts of him that did and there were parts of him that didn't. But he didn't fear God fully. And, and what is the command in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I think Jonah, in the back of his mind, had an understanding that, hey, God is going to, to do something because of my rebellion. But at this moment, he wasn't fearing the Lord fully. He still had an understanding of God. He still had an understanding and, and pro pro probably or possibly even some reverence towards God. But in this moment, I don't think his declaration was 100% forthcoming. Did he believe that God created the heaven and made the sea? He certainly did. Did God use that as a, an opportunity for the name of God to prosper in the sight of these evil men? Certainly he did. Why? Because now these sailors know who's in control of the storm. It was his God. He was a Hebrew, and he, he did serve the God, of, of, uh, or he did fear the Lord to some degree, but he didn't fear him perfectly. And so how do you think this caused the sailors to look at Jonah's God in light of Jonah? That, do you think they were confused? Like, you say you fear the Lord, but you've chosen to run away from the Lord. You stayed asleep while we were freaking out. You didn't tell us about your God until we put the spotlight on you and forced you to tell us. And, and now you're telling us that he's the God that we have to be concerned over. Um, we don't know exactly the, the end of this scenario. But I, while, while Jonah was truthful, and while he did give glory to God, ultimately there was still some untruthfulness in Jonah because he wasn't living up to what he said. 
there was inconsistencies there. Kind of goes back to what I, what I mentioned at the beginning about the inconsistencies and the dangers of those in the lives of other people. I want to hit the last one and uh, then we'll be done. Verse 10 is a compelling question. Verse 10 says, Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Compelling question. As Jonah stood there, he probably felt like a kid who had just been found out by his parents. And how many of us remember being asked the question, why did you do that? I think I've shared this before. There was, when we were growing up, we were at a church in our hometown and um, we had family that went there and a family was supposed to, that family was supposed to get up and sing a special that night in church. And one of their kids told me what the special was and it was just a hymn and it was favorites night. So I chose the song as a favorite before they got to sing. So we sang the song twice that night. We sang it as a congregation, and then they sang it as a group. And somehow it got out that I knew, and I can remember sitting at the table and my parents saying, why did you do this, right? (laughs) What part of you thought this was a good idea? And can't you feel that in their question? Like, if you truly fear the Lord, if he truly is the God who made the heaven and the sea, if he truly is the God who controls all things, why did you do this? Why did you think it was a good idea to pay the fare and get on the boat and go to sleep and allow us to wallow in in fear because of your sinfulness? Why did you do this? And did Jonah have an answer? No. He didn't have an answer because there there was no answer other than, I'm a sinful person who made a really stupid decision and I'm sorry for what I've done. They asked the question, And they knew the answer. They they knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah made it known that he was supposed to go somewhere else. He made it known that that God wanted him to go to Nineveh, but he was running from God in this moment, and this is why these things were falling upon these people in this moment. But it's a compelling question that I think is, is one that we should consider in our moments of temptation and in our moments of sin. Why did you do this? Why, why did you say what you said? Why did you go where you went? Why did you do what you did? Why have you traveled down this path? Why have, have you walked outside of God's revealed will instead of walking in God's revealed will? And I think the only answer is the title of the lesson, and it's the selfishness of sin. Jonah thought he was going to get something better. He determined that his will was better than what God's will was, And in this moment, Jonah is now being tasked with asking or or answering a whole bunch of unbelieving sailors as to why he forsook the God he said he feared. And that's a hard question to answer in the presence of unbelievers. Why did you do this? A few things I want to hit as we close. Sorry we didn't have more time for discussion in the last one, but just some some theological implications of verses 4 through 10. And we've hit on some of them already. The first one is this. God is omniscient. He is. He knew where Jonah was the whole time. He knew the sailors that were going to be on the boat. He knew how the situation was going to play out. God was omniscient. He was all-knowing. He was never surprised. He was never taken back. He was never caught off guard. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He's omniscient. And I think that's important for us to remember because hopefully it will keep us from wandering into sin willfully and blissfully, thinking that we're going to get away with something. The second thing is, God will do 
what God desires to do. God desired to get Jonah back. How did he do it? He sent the storm. God's going to do what God desires to do. Some people would say, God, it's unfair of you to, to cause these sailors to be fearful, fearful, fearful for their lives. But who does God answer to? Nobody. Who gives God counsel? Who knows the mind and the heart of God? Nobody does. And so God is going to do what God desires to do. Third thing, God does not need us, but he desires to use us. And do you think that sunk into Jonah's heart and mind at some point along the way? Jonah, I don't need you. Sure, I've used you, but I don't need you, but I want to use you. And, and how humbling should that be for us? How humbling should it be that the God of heaven who can do everything still wants to use us? And, and what are we prone to doing? The exact opposite of, of what God wants to accomplish as seen in here. Fourth thing, God's chastening is very real. Um, Jonah understood something about the power of God in this moment that he likely never forgot. Did he always live by it? No, because we still see his poor attitude down the road. But I, he likely never forgot being in the, fish of a bell, uh, the belly of a fish, right? How could you forget that? God's chastening is very real. The final thing, and we see that this even in this story, is that his mercy is everlasting. What did God prepare? He prepared a fish. How far did God push the boat to the point where they thought it was going to break? Who kept the sailors from beating up Jonah to a point where he died on the boat instead of being cast overboard? God did. And every one of those things is a sign of God's mercy. God's mercy is far more reaching than we will ever comprehend this side of heaven. And we often think God is only merciful when he does the things that we want. And if that's our view of God's mercy, we have made ourselves God and not God. God's mercy is, is everlasting. Jonah got caught up in the selfishness of sin. And as we consider this story, as we consider this account, um, may, we, may we think through his scenario and apply it to our scenarios to see where we have allowed selfishness to creep into our lives and take control. Let's ask the questions, who are we putting in harm's way? And how have we shamed the name of God? What a way for Jonah to declare who God was on his path of sinfulness. Now, are we thankful God's name was still declared? Absolutely. And God's name was glorified through it. Um, but but Jonah, Jonah lived in such a way that brought shame to the name of God because he wasn't living in accordance to God's will. So let's consider that as we close tonight. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I do pray that we would consider the selfishness of sin in our own lives as we think about the paths that we often choose to go down um, as we disregard your will for our lives. God, help us to, to be lights in darkness, not because others have exposed sin that we've been involved in, but God, let us be lights in darkness as we proclaim the truth of your love, the truth of your mercy, the truth of your righteousness, the truth of your justice to a world that needs to have these things to find true hope. We thank you again for your love for us. I pray that you be with us as we go our separate ways. May we think on these things throughout the remainder of the week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.